you know, you could see recoupment in about a year or so. And if the show were to continue at that pace, just based off of that 50-50 split that we were talking about, investors would look at getting, you know, an additional 50% in another year. And then in a subsequent year, they would get another 50%. So they would probably double their money in about three years. What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Matt Piccini. This is a very unique one, okay? Matt is a real estate investor, a real estate syndicator. He buys real estate with passive investors, just like I do. But that's not all he does. He also invests in Broadway shows. He syndicates Broadway shows, brings passive investors into invest in Broadway shows. And today he's telling us about how that's done, his experience, some of the risks associated with it, how we can look at and evaluate deals for our own if we're considering a Broadway investment. He makes it very clear that Broadway investing is much riskier than any other kind of investing. These things can go wrong, but they can also go very right. Matt actually invested in Hamilton back in the day, and that obviously did very well. And he tells us about a few other investments in Broadway shows that he's made over the years. Again, super unique and uh, it was a great guy to talk to and a great thing to learn. So you are going to enjoy this one probably just as much as I did. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy multifamily real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love learning new things. And this was a new thing for me to learn. And you're going to learn something today as well. At least I hope so. I think you will. I did. Without any further ado, here we go with Matt Pacheni. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Taylor. Thanks for having me on your show. Thrilled to talk with you. This is a really exciting topic, really cool and unique. But before we get into that, can you tell us about your background and your experience and kind of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in Orlando, Florida, and I moved to New York City to pursue a career in theater. I went to a musical theater school, conservatory there. And uh, then after graduation, I was a professional performer for about five years. And then I ended up getting involved in the advertising world. And I spent about 18 years climbing the corporate ladder in uh, advertising. And during that time, I started investing actively in real estate, but on the side as sort of a hobby. And then about a little over five years ago, my wife got approached with a really cool job opportunity, which had us move from New York City to Miami, Florida. And at that point, I moved into doing real estate full time and I syndicate large multifamily properties. But the reason why I was able to sort of make that leap at that time was because of some passive income that I had already started to generate. And so some of that was from real estate deals that I had been involved in. Um, and some of that, which I think is the topic of our conversation today, which is a really unique thing, is that I invested passively along with my wife in some musical theater productions, some Broadway shows. So my wife, her full-time job is working in the theater. Um, she worked on Broadway for a number of years. And actually, she got approached out of the blue to uh, run the programming for a, a big performing arts center in Miami, which is why we moved there. And we were there for about two years, almost two years, when, again, she got approached out of the blue for a cool job opportunity in Boston, which is where we live. We've been here for over three years now. So we live in Boston, Massachusetts. 
she's full-time theater. She runs a theater uh, downtown Boston called The Colonial. She's a general manager there. And I do real estate full-time. But once in a while, when the stars align, because this stuff is super risky, and we can talk a little bit more about that, when the stars align, we join forces and we'll uh, get involved in a, in a Broadway show. And um, those can often lose money, which is why we're very cautious about the ones we get involved in. But if they do well and you get into a big show, you can make outsized returns, you know, more than you could ever make in a real estate deal. So it can be quite amazing, but it, there's that risk reward ratio, super, super high risk. And so we're very cautious when we tell everybody about it so that they realize the risk involved. Nice, nice. I like that. And so first for the setup of these investments, uh, you've described it in the past when we talked about kind of like a syndication. I mean, how's it? I, I don't I know nothing about the theater, right? So I'm going to ask a lot of dumb questions here. But I mean, when you form a syndication, you bring in passive investors to invest in a Broadway show. What happens with the money? And what do you own? How long does it last? You know, let's let's talk maybe some of the basics here for dumb guys like me. Yeah, Taylor, you're actually a really bright guy, and I happen to know that. And these are just things that you're just unaware of, probably like the first time you or or myself or any of your listeners, when you first heard about real estate syndications, we were like, wait, how does this work? Like, you have no idea. So you, you just, you're just unaware of it, which is fine. Let me tell you what, what happens is, uh, you know, the capital that's raised for, for a, a show is used to create sets, to create costumes, to uh, hire, you know, the musicians and the actors and, 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 you know, whoever else is involved and, and get the show to the opening night. Right. So sort of like the acquisition, I, it's, it's very easy to sort of uh, draw parallels between the, the two things like a, a property versus a show. So that, you know, that acquisition that like gets you to opening night and then you have to have a little bit of capital, like operating capital, to get yourself, you know, a couple of months into the run, and then hopefully your show's doing well, and you're able <laughs> to generate, um, you know, money to at least pay your expenses, and then hopefully a profit to give to your investors. And you know, that's basically it. You know, the the interesting thing about the real estate uh, world is that the way that these things are generally set up, right, and things could be set up a little differently from show to show, is that the investors are paid back first. You have all your operating expenses. But the producers, you know, which is very similar to, to a sponsor in a real estate deal, they don't get anything until the investors are made whole. So generally, the investors get everything until they've got 100% of their initial investment back. And then once the initial investment is back, it's usually a 50-50 split. So 50% going to the sponsor and 50% going to the investor. So it's a little different because they're getting you getting paid back first but then once you've fully recouped you're probably not getting as much as you would in a, a traditional real estate deal but these shows can run forever and if the show is very successful it can be exponentially successful so let me give you an example let's say you invested in a in a, in a show like hamilton right so if you invested in the broadway production of hamilton you invested in the originating company because the, the show started in New York on Broadway. Some shows originate in London. So if you invested in a Broadway production, you're not necessarily in the originating company. But if you invest in the originating company of a show, 
you then um, are entitled, and again, this is usually, shows can be different from, from one to one, but usually it entitles you to uh, receive royalty payments, um, basically like licensing payments from any other production, like professional lever production. They all pay in to the author and then the originating company gets a percentage of the author's share. So you're getting little bits of money from subsequent productions of the show. Additionally, you could get income from other productions. Like let's say they made a movie, like we were using the Hamilton ex uh, example. Hamilton's now on Disney plus Disney paid for the rights to have that and, and, and show that on their service. And so a portion of that goes to the author and a portion of the author's share goes to the originating production. Not only that, when you're looking at Hamilton, they've got a production in the UK They've got the Broadway production and three tours in the United States. Uh, there's actually, I think, a total of six productions of Hamilton running, right? Well, before COVID. Right now, everything's paused. But before COVID, there were six productions running. So there's a little bit of money from all of the five subsequent productions besides the Broadway one paying into the Broadway one. But also, as an investor in the Broadway production, you're entitled to invest the same pro rata shares in the company in the in the subsequent companies so let's say that your investment happened to be one percent of hamilton well that would mean that for every production that is subsequently done professional production like a, a tour um you would be able to invest up to that one percent that you had invested in the original production now the the capitalization might be different it might be 10 million dollars for capitalization you know on broadway so that makes your one percent you know, one amount, but maybe it's a, only a thousand dollars to do the tours. So your one percent would be a smaller amount of the capitalization. You know, from a total amount of dollars, but it's the same percentage of that capitalization. So the cool thing is, if you invest in a show and it becomes a hit, you can have many different companies, right? Like with a real estate deal, if you do the deal and the deal's great, that's fine. But there's kind of a a limit, right? You bought a 200 unit property and that's it now maybe you could buy another property down the street or something like that but that property is kind of finalized and that is it where with a broadway show if it's popular there may be opportunities if there's touring productions or productions in other countries and all depending on how the agreements are written some of them you only have rights to invest in subsequent productions if they're in certain locations maybe only in north america or North America and Europe, or, you know, there's, there's different rules for all of these, but usually you have rights to at least a portion of subsequent productions. So it can be really lucrative if you're lucky. And it's very much like a roulette wheel where, you know, you can also, you know, on the roulette wheel, right? If you put money down on 17 black, if you hit 17 black, the payoff is like 32 to one, right? It's fantastic. But, you know, you put the money on 19, it's all gone. Like you've lost it all. <laughs> so there's risk involved. So what if you, on those uh, fractional shares of subsequent productions, say you decide not to invest in those subsequent for whatever reason, yes. what happens to your shares or to the, that opportunity? Well, I think that depends on the way that the operating agreements are written. I've never been involved in, in a show where we have, you know, usually if they're doing a subsequent production, it's because the show's doing very well. So you as an investor would probably want to invest in that. 
um, you're not obligated to. It's like a right of first refusal. I would imagine that those shares would go back to um, the producer and the producer would probably just happily take those shares for themselves, put put the capital in for those and take them for themselves. Because at that point, I mean, there's still risk involved, but the, the large amount of risk that's there has become de-risked because obviously the show's doing well. And, and so, you know, there, there's still risk involved, right? But I think it's a lot less. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Wow. This is, this is really something. So I also wanted to kind of get into things like, like minimum investments. I mean, obviously this is very risky and folks might not want to take that risk with, you know, the same 50, dollars $200,000 that they might with a, a, a multifamily or, you know, self-storage, whatever. So what are sponsors usually saying is like their minimum for these types of uh, investments? Yeah, well, again, it can differ from show to show, but the thing to to keep in mind is that these are all set up, again, generally, as a 506C, right? So we're only taking accredited investors in here. If there's a loss, it's not going to leave them destitute, right? Because that's that's like really important because you could have a total loss. I fortunately have never had a total loss in anything I've been involved with, but I've lost 25%. You know, Erica, my wife, the first show she did get involved with, and actually it was a play and not a musical, they lost everything. So, I mean, that can happen. That was like, I think 10 or 15 years ago, and she's learned a lot since. But, you know, it's something that people need to be aware of. Usually the minimum on these deals is $25,000. That's usually the minimum investment amount. Interesting. Okay. That's that's kind of typical to, to real estate too. There's some crossover, the minimum, minimum you're going to find is usually 25, something like that, sometimes 50, something around that. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Now I have, there have been shows um, that have higher minimums. You know, there I've seen shows that have had like a hundred thousand dollar minimum, but the vast majority of them have a $25,000 where in real estate, what I'm usually seeing is 50 to hundred, somewhere between 50 to hundred. Once in a while, I do see the ones that are 25, but I generally have been seeing ones that are kind of, you know, in the 50 to hundred range, usually mainly 50. So how about time frame and exit strategy, if you will? <laughs> like what do these things usually look like in their the initial period where they're making sets and you know getting the whole production together till there's any revenue coming in and then I don't know, either it it runs out of money in the first month and there's nothing left <laughs> or it continues on forever like uh Hamilton or you know what have you. I mean, what does it turn into and when? Yeah, well, generally I've seen um, shows capitalizing somewhere between six to 18 months prior to the show opening on Broadway. Um, I'll give you an example. Eric and I are involved in Moulin Rouge, which was running on Broadway, doing exceptionally well. Um, just pre-COVID and we're, we're looking forward to the theaters opening back up on Broadway so that show can can move forward. Um, it's also going to be going out on tour um, and there, there's a bunch of great things going on with that show. That show was capitalized, I think, just about 18 months or so before the Broadway opening um, because it was actually done here in Boston about a year prior. So the summer before it opened, it was done out of town in Boston. And so that's typical where you will see shows being done out of town prior to the Broadway opening. Now, those are typically being done, uh, you know, in, in places like Boston or sometimes in LA, um, but they do this to sort of work through the kinks of the show. They 
end up cutting songs or cutting scenes, writing new scenes, writing new songs, changing the order of things and seeing how it works up on stage in front of a live audience. So that's a really important part of the process. So usually the shows need to be capitalized before that. For Moulin Rouge, as an example, we had capitalized that show and it was sort of finishing up the capitalization as it was opening up here in Boston. And matter of fact, it got such rave reviews and sort of word of mouth happening here in Boston that within the first couple of performances, the capitalization was totally closed. I mean, it was almost closed out, but it was totally completely closed out. And then all of a sudden, everybody from New York was coming to see the show because they loved it. People (laughs) after the show were then trying to reach out to the people who are producing the show and say, you know, someone had a meeting with my wife and was like, hey, I want to invest in the show. She's like, yeah, well, it's, it's full. And they're like, yeah, but how do I get into it? And she's like, no, like it's done. She's like, yeah, but I want to invest in it. She's like, well, no, it's, it's, there's nothing like it's, it's all gone. Like, you know, and then the show didn't open up for almost another year before it got to Broadway. And sometimes that has to do with the shows, with the theater itself, right? A show might really lend itself well to a particular theater because of some of the architectural things in the theater or the way the stage is positioned or, you know, there's many different reasons. And so sometimes there's a shuffling that happens because of, you know, waiting for, a certain show to close so that show can move in and there's there's a whole you know elaborate sort of ballet going on behind the scenes that people don't know about these theaters and but then if a show does really well i mean it can remain in the theater forever i mean phantom's been running for i think close to 30 years now phantom of the opera wow so yeah i mean that's the longest running musical on broadway right now but remember there were shows like cats or Les Miserables, right? That just did unbelievably in a chorus line that, you know, all of those had had records for years, you know, running 20, 30 years. Um, you know, I think the, the the big ones right now on Broadway, Family Opera, Wicked's been running a very long time. Book of Mormon's been doing very well. Chicago's still running. I can't believe that. It's great. Revival. Chicago, fantastic show. That's still going. I mean, everything's paused right now and we'll have to see what happens coming out of COVID if all of those shows reopen? I think that they will, but I, I'm not sure. We'll we'll have to see what happens. So one of the big advantages we have in real estate is leverage, is debt. You know, we can take on pretty cheap long-term debt. And if we are passively investing in this syndication, somebody else is putting up their credit for it. Whereas in these shows, you know, with these long time spans till it's going to cash flow and this big question mark as to whether or not it's going to make any money, is there any room for leverage debt or is that just a terrible idea? Well, I don't know if it's a terrible idea, but <laughs> it's pretty much impossible to get. Mm. Uh, there are there are certain situations where there are private loans that can happen um, for, for certain reasons. Like, let's say it's almost the Tonys and your show's just fledgling along, but you think you've got a good shot for the Tony. So you might be able to go to a private investor and say, hey, can I get a priority loan? to just cover our operating expenses for the next three weeks until the Tonys and we'll see how it does. But generally there's no leverage on these deals. And, you know, in terms of like, how long does it take to get that recoupment? It depends. I mean, if your show can recoup in like a year, that would be really good. Um, Like that would be very good. I, I think usually between one to three years, I think generally before a show normally recoups, 
But if you have a show that's doing really well, I mean, Hamilton, I think recouped in less than a year. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I mean, but that's like a one in a, you know, that's a long, that's like a Phantom of the Opera, Book of Mormon, kind of like long shot. But, you know, shows that are doing well, that are, you know, relatively successful, especially if you win a Tony, you know, you could see recoupment in about a year or so. And if the show were to continue at that pace, just based off of that 50-50 split that we were talking about, investors would look at getting, you know, an additional 50% in another year. And then in a subsequent year, they would get another 50%. So they would probably double their money in about three years if a show does well. Right? That's a big if. But then if the show continues to run for another two years, you're looking at five years that you've been invested and you've tripled your money. Plus, at that point, you probably have some sort of subsequent productions going on. So, I mean, if a show's running for five years on Broadway, there's probably a tour or two. It might be running in the UK or Australia or whatever. So there'll probably be other subsequent productions that may be paying you back. You know, like I said, if you were invested in Hamilton, you were getting you know, distribution checks from six different productions, you know, on a, you know, whatever that frequency basis was a month or every two months or whatever that can add up and can add up quite quickly. Wow. That is pretty cool. And it's getting your money back first before you start earning a return gives you an opportunity to go invest in something else, whether it's another production or real estate or, or anything, you can go redeploy that money. And if the original production performs, then, hey, you've got something producing income for you over here and you can go, you know, diversify, build something else producing income for you and get a lot of streams coming in if they work out. If it works out. And the other thing to keep in mind, it's not like real estate where at real estate, you actually have like this tangible asset that you sell at the end, right? At the end of your deal, now, usually on a you know five-year syndication, you're usually going to get hopefully around 50% of, of your initial investment back, right? Through cash on cash returns during the whole period. But then at the end, you do that sale and you get 150%, like in one big lump sum. With these shows, it's like they close and then like it's over. But hopefully you've gotten a lot more money during the whole period, right? You've gotten significant capital coming in once you've recouped your money. So it is a little bit different from that perspective. So I, you know, I, I love Mel Brooks and I'm ashamed to say I've never actually seen the producers, so I can't make a oh. reference to the producers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have you seen our... the movie? No, I haven't. I need to, I, I haven't seen. Yeah. It. I mean, there's the original movie, which is hilarious. And then there's the, the, the remade movie, which is also really good as well. They're both pretty funny. So you should check one of them out. So, but, but in that vein, right. I understand like the broad strokes of the plot, you know, from watching okay. Curb Your Enthusiasm, but sure. if, if folks want to like learn about these investments or like get into one and like vet it and figure out, are they going to deliberately lose money or something like that? I, I don't know. Yeah. Something's going to go wrong. How do you even evaluate something like this really from a right. passive investor standpoint? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully no one's committing fraud, right? That's <laughs> right. What talking about. Yeah. Um, but there is there is insurance. You know, interestingly enough, we have business continuation insurance on, on shows like Moulin Rouge. We had that. So even though this COVID thing's happening, we have an insurance claim. So we're going to, you know, it's, that's going to help us, you know, bridge the gap until the show opens back up, which is fantastic. But obviously we're not making like money off of that insurance claim. We're not going to be profiting off of that. So 
I think your your question was how do you how do you even evaluate like oh how do you evaluate sponsor how do I protect my downside a little bit so that yeah. I can be confident this guy's not gonna run away with my money or something negative like that right yeah I mean what I would recommend is sort of the same thing when you're looking at a real estate syndication or you're investing with people I'm sure you've heard this a million times that you know that you like and that you trust so you have to build that rapport with somebody I'll tell you that Erica and I have an extensive background in this, you know, I mean, Erica is dealing with this on a day to day basis. I have a background in it. I'm, I'm involved in it tangentially through her. Right. And so we have a three prong approach when we look at things. So we're evaluating the creative team. We're evaluating the um, management team and we're evaluating the production itself. Okay. So for an example, when you look at Moulin Rouge, we looked at who the general manager and the producers were. I mean, Eric has known personally the general manager for like, I think 18 or 20 years. So she's, she's done deals with them before. She knows the producers, like she's had relationships with these people. She felt very comfortable with them from that perspective. When you look at the creative team, I mean, some people that we know that we're friendly with, but have been nominated for multiple Tony awards of the money shows on Broadway. I mean, Alex Timbers, who's the director, you know, we're, we're, we're friends with, but he had a number of shows that have done exceptionally well on Broadway, much critical acclaim, Tony nominations, the whole nine yards. And we know him and, he, and he's actually was like perfect for Moulin Rouge. And then they had the choreographer coming in, Sonia Taye, which if you ever watched So You Think You Can Dance, that's really, I think, where she started to make a name for herself as a choreographer and does awesome choreography. And, you know, the Tony Awards come out, uh, nominations come out, the week after we record this uh, this podcast, I'm not sure when when it's going to be broadcast, but I will be shocked if, if Sonya is not nominated for her brilliant choreography in the show. It's amazing. So, um, you know, the, the the guy, Derek McLean, who did the sets is is a, a Tony Award winner. I believe he's done many, many things. He also uh, does a lot of television sets. Like I think he did the Grammys one year, the Oscars one year. I mean, there's just these people who are at such a, a high caliber of talent. We were like, wow. This creative team is amazing. We know the management team. We know they can handle financials and all the different things with tickets and all the intricacies with all of that. Like they're stellar with that. And then the show itself, I mean, Moulin Rouge, like who doesn't know that title, right? I mean, the movie was 17 years ago, but it's what put Nicole Kidman, that was her first Oscar nomination, you know, Ewan McGregor. It's just, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal. John Leguizamo was fantastic in the movie. It's just a really good show. And so many people know it and love it and are passionate about the movie that we were like, wow, this has got all three elements. You know, the last show we had been involved with before was a show that we had just invested in, and that was Hamilton. And there have been three years between that and Moulin Rouge, but we were, you know, we were, we weren't doing anything. We were, were, like I said, very cautious, but Moulin Rouge just had all the elements that we cared about and we got involved in that. And then we got involved in American Utopia maybe a year later, which was kind of quick for us. But that was because Alex, the choreographer, was in it again. And it's David Byrne, right, from The Talking Heads. Nice. And it's this amazing piece that he actually had done out on tour at festivals that had been, um, you know, at, at just kind of all over the place. He had toured on this based off this album he had come out with in, in 2018 and some of his older songs and taking a look at America and where it is today. And I hope this podcast gets launched in October because October, I believe it's the 17th. It actually is going to be on HBO and HBO Max. And you can watch it. And it's really poignant, especially with what's going on in today's society. I highly recommend checking it out. American Utopia 
And HBO Max is actually doing like a, you know, free trial. So you can actually, if you don't have HBO, go to HBO Max, get the free trial and check out American Utopia. It's fantastic. You know, those are those are some shows we got involved in. And that's how we look at things and kind of vet them. They have to be things that we feel really good about, that we feel passionate about. That's very important. Um, and then we want to look at the team from a financial perspective and from a creative perspective. And if it has all those three elements, we think that it has a good chance of probably doing well, but it could lose money. Nice. Well, you mentioned coming out with this this month. We're recording on here on Saturday, the 10th of October. We'll shift some things around and, and get this episode out, out this month just, just for you since you uh, since you mentioned it. Well, thanks, Taylor. You betcha. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Matt, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you yep. ready? I read them. Yeah. All right. First one, what's the best investment you ever made other than your education? So since we're talking about theater, I'll, I'll constrain it to that. And I'll say, um, you know, we, we invested in Hamilton. We were lucky. We just got a little bit in there, but it's done exceptionally well. We knew it was good when we saw it downtown before it went to Broadway. We thought it would be successful. I don't think we knew it would be such a cultural <laughs> phenomenon. It's become a cultural phenomenon, which Huge. is amazing. Uh, my daughter is six years old and uh, her playmate came over the other day for a socially distanced uh, play date in our backyard with masks on because of the COVID. But he w asked if we could play Hamilton, like a six-year-old boy, because it's become <laughs> such a thing. So that was a phenomenal investment. Nice. On the other side of that, we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Sure. So going back to the theater, right? Uh, our worst investment uh, was If Then, which was a show that ran, you know, it was a, a, a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning writing team, right? Who had a great show next to normal previously. And they were doing something interesting with the plot. And it just it didn't do exceptionally well. It ran for about a year. Uh, Edina Menzel was, the, was like the lead in it, you know, you would think that the show would do well, had great elements to it. It, it didn't do well financially. Critically, I think it, it, it did pretty well. I mean, and it ran for, for a while, but yeah, we lost money on that one. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah, it happens. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? It's all about relationships. You know, it really is. And, and I've heard it said time and time again, but it's something that I repeat. You know, most of my real estate deals that I've gotten, uh, sorry, all of the real estate <laughs> deals that I've gotten as, as, a, as a syndicator have been through my relationships with either brokers or property managers. And likewise, I mean, we got involved in Hamilton because of our relationship with the producer, you know, all of the shows because of our relationships with the people. You know, my wife has great relationships with the people, talks with them on a daily basis, is doing business with them on a daily basis. And that's what allows us that access. So it's not that it's exclusive. It's just who would know, you know, like who would know that this thing's happening, you know? So the rela relationships are key. You know, I'm all about building relationships and trying to help people wherever I can. People have helped me and I try to pass that along. So building relationships is, is most important. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for teaching us about this today. I love it. It's, it's so unique investing in Broadway shows and you invest in real estate. We'll have to talk about that again some other time. If folks want to learn more about your Broadway or real estate investments, where can they find you? 
Yeah, you can reach out to me about Broadway. And also, I have a book coming out telling my story about real estate, which I think will give some great tips. So if you'd like to find out about the book, and I'll be giving free ones away, uh, please go ahead and go to my website. It's mjppg.com. And you can just fill in your email address there. Or you can email me directly, matt, M-A-T-T, at mjppg.com. And I'd be happy to chat with you about theatrical investments or real estate or both nice awesome well thanks for joining us once again today to everybody out there thank you for tuning in if you're enjoying the show please leave us a rating or review on apple Podcasts. It very much appreciate it and helps other people learn about the show if you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe thanks for tuning in once again have a great rest of your day and a great week we'll talk to you on the next one bye-bye